This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. This week, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson confirmed that there would be no restrictions brought in before Christmas in England, despite daily cases in the UK exceeding 100,000 for the first time yesterday. We don't think today that there is enough evidence to justify any tougher measures before Christmas. But in Scotland, Wales and a host of other countries around the world, there have been new measures announced to try and reduce the peak of the oncoming Omicron wave. I'll also confirm Cabinet's decision to propose some additional protections in relation to large-scale live events and indoor public places. We judge these to be necessary to further slow the spread of the virus so that we can protect health, the National Health Service and the economy as we work to complete booster vaccinations. The UK government has instead said that it will be keeping a constant eye on how infections translate into hospitalisations. This is a really serious threat at the moment. The, how big a threat? There are several things we don't know, but all the things that we do know are bad. So what might the weeks and months ahead look like if Omicron continues to spread rapidly? And are there any glimmers of hope with 2022 on the horizon? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay and this is Science Weekly. Ian Sample, as The Guardian's science editor, It's been another busy week for you, a hectic end to a hectic year. How are you feeling? I'm okay, actually. I mean, you know, if I think about it, pretty pasted. But generally speaking, you know, all right, I've been far worse. So, uh, yeah, I'll take it. (laughs) Well, it's not going to be a quiet start to everyone's Christmas because a couple of days ago, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson confirmed that there won't be any restrictions in England before Christmas. And he said that there's not enough evidence yet for tougher measures. 
But you wrote last Sunday that there is a case for more restrictions and that it was overwhelming. So how is the same data leading to these very different conclusions? I think it really depends on your attitude to risk. And the government was told by the people who do the modelling for SAGE and so on, that if they don't take action before the end of the year, then the NHS could be facing a minimum of 3,000 hospitalizations in England at the peak, which we'd expect in January. So I think what's happened here is the government has looked at the data and they've said, well, okay, cases and infections are going up very steeply. We don't really see too much of what's going on with hospitalizations yet. So we'll watch and we'll see what happens. And there's a gamble here. What the, the ideal is, and the kind of gamble they're taking, is that the wave of hospitalizations that comes through is low enough for the NHS to handle. And I guess this will partly depend on how case numbers develop over the next few weeks. At the moment, they're really, really high. Yesterday, they hit an alarming 106,000. And there's been some suggestions that our testing capacities might struggle to keep up at this level and that we could see official numbers potentially slow down in response. What do you make of this? I don't know if it's having an impact yet because a lot of PCR tests are still coming back within three days. I think, though, that there will be a ceiling on that. And if the infections do keep rising at such a phenomenal speed then that PCR testing infrastructure is not going to be able to keep up. Some scientists have already said that the PCR testing as a means of following what's going on with this outbreak is already out of date because it can take you longer to get your result back than cases are doubling. So it's like, well, what do these numbers mean? They tell you about the epidemic in this country um, days ago. And I think We may also see an issue with lateral flow tests. Um, We seem to have a huge pile of these, a huge stockpile of these in the country. Seems more that the issue there is with distribution and will depend more regionally as to how good the distribution networks are as to getting those lateral flow tests, those LFTs out to people so they can be doing all of these tests that we're supposed to be doing when we come into contact with people who've got got COVID at the moment. Well, despite worrying data when it comes to transmission – There was some tentative good news yesterday with some early data looking into hospitalisations after infection with Omicron. Yeah, that's right. And this was pretty good news to some extent from Imperial College, where Neil Ferguson's outbreak modelling team is based. And what they did was they looked at all of the confirmed COVID cases in England in the first two weeks of December. And then they looked at uh, which of those were Omicron and which were Delta, because they're pretty much the only two variants circulating in, in England at the moment. And then they hooked that up with their medical records to see whether those people had been to hospital, whether they just attended even just for a, a brief spell, or whether they, they'd been admitted overnight and so on. And what that suggested was that Omicron may be inherently milder, but probably not a massive amount. If you're one of those incredibly rare people who has not been infected by COVID and has not had any COVID vaccines, and I I think these must be a fraction of the population, tiny fraction, 
their estimate is that your risk of being hospitalized with Omicron is probably about 11% lower than your risk of being hospitalized with Delta. Now, I think the more realistic picture that you get from these data was that if you get Omicron, then your chances of going to hospital for basically any reason to do with that infection, even if it's just to turn up and then come back home the same day, the reduction in the risk of, go- of hospitalization was about 15% with Omicron versus Delta. And I think more importantly was the reduction in risk of hospitalization for those who had to stay at least one night. So those who were admitted stayed overnight and possibly for days after that. And in that category of people, the reduction in risk was 40 to 45%. And what we just don't have yet is the data for admissions for very serious illness, admissions to intensive care and so on. That's quite a significant percentage change in the chance of going to hospital and even more so for staying overnight or longer. And just to be clear, is this because of the vaccines and the immunity that those of us have who have had COVID before? That's right. And in many cases, actually both. It's the buildup of the immunity we've got against SARS-CoV-2, the virus in general, um, that's come from previous infections and, and vaccinations. But there is also a caution in that, yes, this is good news to a degree, as Neil Ferguson phrased it. But you have to think that this is easily overwhelmed or could be easily overwhelmed by the just the sheer rate of transmission. Ian, researchers around the world are trying to learn more about the Omicron variant, and we may have some clues about how Omicron manages to spread so quickly. Tell me about that. Yeah, there's been a couple of interesting studies very recently, one from the University of Hong Kong and another from the University of Cambridge. This is all in lab studies, right? And what they're saying is that the virus seems to be better at infecting your bronchial tube. So you have your windpipe, your trachea that goes down, then it splits into two before it goes into your lungs. And those two branches are your bronchial tubes. Seems to replicate 70 times better than the older variants. And it doesn't seem to cause quite so much damage in the lungs, which is where it causes the most severe disease. If it's actually just replicating a lot in your bronchial tubes, it may also play into a little bit as to why it might be so transmissible because if you've got an awful lot of virus in those bronchial tubes, they're not far down. That can obviously make it easier for the virus to come out when you're breathing, when you're singing your carols and what have you. So I would say that work is suggestive at the moment. I think we need more work to say that that is absolutely what's going on, but it's potentially really good news, I think. Good. And it'll be interesting to see how Omicron as a variant differs from the ones we've seen before, Alpha and Delta. The difficulty is each one seemingly reverses months of progress of getting case numbers under control. Is this the course that we're on for the next few years? Well, there's no doubt that the virus has plenty more room to evolve, if you like. So I don't think you'll find anyone on the planet who says this is the last variant of coronavirus we will see. So then it's like, the question becomes, okay, what are the evolutionary pressures on this virus? And of course, the pressure for it to evolve is all going to be around immunity. If it can find a way to spread faster in populations that are 
going to be largely immune, either because they've had huge waves of infection or because they've had vaccine or in most cases both, then that's the route the, the virus is going to you know, almost certainly go down. So I think, yeah, look, we are going to see those variants. And I think we're going to see those more and more if we fail to get vaccines out to parts of the world where they don't have vaccination. You know, we're, we're talking about how many millions of people we've boosted. In some African countries, you're looking at less than 10% having had a first shot of vaccine. With Omicron driving case numbers up around the world, there is inevitably going to be this initial scramble to understand things like severity and transmission. But there is this other looming issue of long COVID And when infections are as high as they are, this must be a big concern. I think it's a real concern. And I think it's an issue that's had very little attention because certainly in this country, we are very much fixated on, I mean, not in a bad way, our our immediate focus when Omicron came along was what is this going to do to the NHS? And obviously, what does that mean for the burden of illness? What does that mean for deaths? That completely misses this point that we are still going to have hundreds of thousands of infections a day. And those people, they may not be hospitalized, but you can still get long COVID if you're not hospitalized. You know, the other thing to bear in mind is this variant was only reported about a month ago. And so we're only just starting to see figures come through on deaths from this variant. Long COVID is going to take many more months. I hate to say it, but the situation doesn't feel great right now. And it seems like we're back where we were a year ago. Can you give me any little bit of hope? What can we expect in 2022? So I think there are a number of reasons to be pretty optimistic. First of all, just what will all these infections do? Well, The infections themselves, as we've just been talking about with long COVID, it's not a great thing to get infected, full stop. But all of those people who recover are going to have an extra boost to their immunity. And that natural infection is going to probably give them broader protection than a vaccine which only includes the spike protein of the virus. So if you're exposed to the entire virus, then you can produce antibodies and T cells that target different types of the virus. That, I think, you know, we can see as a, a silver lining. There's also, coming down the line, we have antivirals, which are going to really start making an impact in 2022. But it's going to have a much bigger impact in countries that are very able to deliver those to patients fast. And then the other thing to be really positive about, I think, is that the vaccines are going to change next year. We already know that Moderna and and others, but Moderna is working on an Omicron variant vaccine. And I think probably more excitingly, we will start to see polyvalent, multivalent vaccines where instead of it just being, okay, I have my vaccine against coronavirus, I have my vaccine against a number of different variants of coronavirus So I think all of these things are going to make 22 a lot better than 2021 has been. I'm so glad that you could give us a dash of positivity there. I did my best. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ian, thank you so much and happy Christmas. I hope you do get to have a break. Yeah, me too. And you too. I hope you do too. Science Weekly will be taking a break. 
Next week, we're putting out two episodes from the archive. A couple of my favourites, in fact. Ian Sample talking to physicist Carlo Rivelli about the weird and wonderful world of quantum mechanics. And before you go, let me tell you about The Guardian and Observer's annual charity appeal. This year, it's raising money for charities focused on grassroots initiatives that are reaching those affected by the climate crisis. You can help people directly who have had their lives, homes and whole communities devastated by the effects of our changing world. Donate today at theguardian.com forward slash charity 2021. That's it from us this year. Have a very Merry Christmas and may all your lateral flows stay white. We'll be back in January. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.